0: Love Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bareback Facts, brought to you by Totally Driven Entertainment Radio. I do apologize for the late uh, start for today. I know, guys, we normally get started a little bit earlier. Uh, unfortunately, today, having a little te- technical issues, but we're here now. We're here, and this is going to happen uh, just the way we wanted it to. Today, we're going to be talking about Donald Henry Gaskins. For those of you unfamiliar with Mr. Gaskins, um, we uh, we have a very twisted individual before us when we talk about <laughs> this man. he is, he is beyond a doubt, one of the most disgusting individuals uh, in criminal history, in terms of the United States' criminal history. So let's not uh, stand on ceremony with this guy and waste any time with him. Um, Let's get started right now and talk about him. So Donald Henry Gaskins is a man who's got uh, quite the reputation. He was born... Uh, In Florence County, South Carolina On March 13, 1933 And at a young age uh, Was teased For being rather small Uh, He was dubbed Pee-wee as a result of a small frame uh, And was Pestered Frequently by young bullies Uh, This ridicule Would follow him from his home Where his stepfather would beat him To his school where he fought with the other kids Daily uh, this would ultimately lead him to become the most prolific, one of the most prolific serial killers in American history. At the age of 11, Gaskins would quit school and begin working at a local car garage. While working there, he met two boys named Danny and Marsh. They were all around the same age and out of school, so they teamed up and called themselves the Troubled Trio. The Trio would burglarize homes, pick up prostitutes, and even occasionally... Uh, sexually assault young boys they would threaten the little boys so they wouldn't go to the police Uh, and this is something that they did for for quite a while Um, eventually the trio would break up after they were caught for gang raping marsh's little sister for punishment the parents beat the boys until they bled danny marsh left the area shortly after that and gaskins would continue to burglarize homes alone in the area now, in 1946, a girl who knew Gaskins interrupted him while he was burglarizing her home uh, and struck him with an axe. He managed to get away from her and struck her in the head and arm with it before fleeing the scene. Uh, luckily, uh, the girl survived the attack. He was arrested uh, and convicted for assault with a deadly weapon and intent to kill. During the court proceedings, it was the first time he had heard his real name spoken in his whole life. He, went, he was sent to the South Carolina Industrial School for Boys until he turned age of 18. While at the reform school, Gaskins was almost immediately attacked and raped due to his small stature. He spent his time either accepting protection from the boss boy in exchange for sex or attempting to escape. Eventually, he escapes from the reform school and gets on with, with a traveling carnival where he then proceeds to get married to a 13-year-old girl while there, but decides to return to the reform school to finish out his sentence. Now, after his release, he gets a job at a tobacco farm, where there he gets involved in insurance fraud. He works with a partner by collaborating with local tobacco farmers to burn their barns for a fee. Around the area, the people begin to wonder about Gaskin's involvement with the bonfires? When his employer's daughter questions him about fires, he panics and split the girl's skull with a hammer in his hand. He receives a five-year sentence in prison for assault with a deadly weapon and attempted murder. Whilst there, he commits commits his first murder in an attempt to become a power man. Uh, For those of you who don't know, uh, this is a term that refers to the most brutal and feared inmates. These are individuals who... Uh, attempt to take uh, firm control of uh, of their prisons. Uh, Gaskins himself um, decides on killing a fellow inmate. Uh, he believes that this would be enough to keep the other inmates from messing with him. He is found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to six months of solitary confinement but he accomplishes his goal of becoming a power man. Uh, this new, newfound status in prison made uh, his life there more enjoyable. In 1955, his wife would file for divorce. Gaskins flipped and escaped from prison. Shortly thereafter, he remarried, but the second marriage lasts only two weeks. Uh, then he becomes involved with Betty Gates. Uh, the two went to Tennessee to bail out Gates's brother, but when Gaskins arrives back at the hotel, he is in for surprise as he finds out Gates's brother is actually her husband, and he had recently escaped jail. The police arrived at the hotel, and it didn't take them long to realize that he's an escaped convict. He is sent back to prison with extra nine months for aiding the escape of a prisoner. One, he is released from prison and returned to South Carolina is unable to stay out of trouble, begins burglarizing homes again. He avoids arrest by working with a traveling minister as his driver and personal and general assistant. Uh, This is an easy way that Gaskins should travel from town to town while burglarizing homes and would make his crimes harder to trace. In 1962, Gaskins is arrested again for the statutory rape of a 12-year-old girl, but he escapes to North Carolina in a stolen car. Once in North Carolina, he meets a 17-year-old girl whom he married uh, she eventually turns him into the police for statutory rape, and he receives six years in Columbia Penitentiary. And in 1968, he is paroled and made a vow uh, never to return again. Uh, throughout his life, he described feelings that forced him into criminal activities, which he referred to as aggravated and bothersome feelings. Uh, In September of 1969, he found relief from these feelings. Gaskins picked up a female hitchhiker in North Carolina and became angry when she laughed at his sexual propositions. As a consequence of this anger, he beat her until she was unconscious. Gaskins would then uh, rape, sodomize, and torture her, then proceed to take her to a swamp to sink her weighted body so that she would drown. Uh, in his his process of rape torture and murder was described by gaskins as a vision into the bothersome feelings that he possessed he experienced these throughout his life satisfying them became his driving force in life he mastered the skill of torture often keeping his injured victims alive for days sometimes he would cannibalize their severed body parts and either make them watch him eat them in horror or join him in the devouring of their body parts. Gaskins preferred female victims, but it didn't stop him from doing the same things to males that he happened upon. By nineteen seventy five, he it is estimated had found eighty boys and girls along the highways of North in North Carolina and the rest of the southern United States and killed them. He considered these highway murders as weekend recreation and thought Killing his personal acquaintances were serious murders, as opposed to the more fun ones uh, of people that he didn't necessarily know. Some of the serious murders included his 15-year-old niece and her best friend, whom he lured off to an abandoned house where he proceeded to beat, rape, and drown both of them. Although Gaskins had a reputation for being explosive, some people in town just thought he was a mentally disturbed individual. Most tried to avoid being around him. Some actually uh, liked him and considered him as their friend. Uh, One person uh, who considered Gaskins to be a friend was Doreen Dempsey, a mother of a two-year-old baby girl who was pregnant with her second child at the time of her death. She happened to be leaving town and decided to get a ride to the bus station from her old friend. Gaskins took her to a wooded area where he proceeded to rape and kill her. Uh, He would then do the same thing to her baby uh, where he would then proceed to uh, dismember and bury the two together. Now, in by this point, Gaskins uh, was 42 years old. Uh, it was the year 1975 and had been killing steadily for the past six years. Up until this point, he had worked alone and that had helped of him avoid being caught. Now, however, despite this, uh, he, he after he had murdered three people when their van broke down on the highway, he needed some help and would con Walter Neely to drive the victim's van to his garage so he could repaint it and sell it. Gaskins also considered himself to be a hired hitman. Uh, the same year he committed the murder of the three individuals in a van, Susan Kipper paid him $1,500 to kill her ex-boyfriend, Silas Yates. Uh, John and... John Powell and John Owens, uh, two of his collaborators, handled the communication between Gaskins and Kipper concerning the arrangement of the murder, and on February 12th of 1975, Diane Neely lured him out of the house by claiming to have car trouble. Gaskins then kidnapped and murdered Yates while Powell and Owens watched. All three helped bury him. Now, Diane Neely and her boyfriend decided to attempt to blackmail Gaskins, after this, they asked for $5,000 in hush money, um, basically telling Gaskins that if you don't give, if you don't give us $5,000, we're going to tell everybody that you killed this guy. Uh, Gaskins, however, was having none of it. He quickly gets rid of them. After he arranged a meeting for the payoff, around the same time, Gaskins had tortured and killed other people he knew, such as Kim Gelkins, a 13-year-old who rejected him. Two locals robbed Gaskins' repair shop without knowing about his bad side. He eventually killed and buried both of these two men with the other locals in his private cemetery. This is a man um, that simply was not one to be crossed by anyone very sick individual uh who you know honestly just spent so much time uh performing these heinous crimes, so we have uh we have gas course again performing this murder. Uh, Neely, one of these individuals uh, that he had murdered, after searching his apartment, they found clothing that had been worn by Gelkins. Uh, Gaskins indicted, was indicted uh, for contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Uh, this takes place after the disappearance of Tim Gelkins. Uh, the authorities uh, at this point had become incredibly suspicious of Gaskins. Um, a lot of people obviously by this point had seen Gaskins with people that were starting to go missing. And they were the last people uh, that he was the last one to be seen with some of these people. This you would have thought would have made him a suspect a lot earlier, but at this point he is now incredibly suspect. Um, Now he had prior to being brought in by the authorities had called Mr. A, Mr. Walter Neely to help him bury uh, the body of the two individuals who had attempted to rob his shop the authorities would bring in Mr. Neely uh, and interrogate him who would and he would quickly crack under the pressure while waiting for the trial and show the police Gaskins private cemetery in this cemetery they found the bodies of the following sellers uh, cellar, Judy Howard Diane Neely, Johnny Knight, Dennis Bellamy, Doreen Dempsey, and her child. uh, They just found quite a few bodies at this point. Uh, These are the names of but a few, uh, mainly the ones that they could identify. 27th, 1976, Gaskins and Walter Neely were charged with eight counts of murder. Uh, On May 24th, 1976, a jury convicts Gaskins of the murder of Dennis Bellamy, and he is sentenced to death. Uh, in an attempt to avoid additional death sentences, he later confessed to seven more Motors. about why you need to avoid, uh, you know, additional death sentences after you're going to die anyway. Uh, kind of, at this point, a moot point, you're going to die. Um, but that's how the system works. Uh, in, 19, in November of 1976, the Supreme Court ruled that the death penalty was unconstitutional. Uh, so his death sentence was converted to life with seven consecutive life sentences. In 1978, the death penalty was restored. This, however, didn't mean anything to Gassins until he was caught and found guilty for being paid uh, to murder a fellow prisoner named Rudolph Tyner. This conviction caused him to receive uh, a death sentence. Now, he began confessing for other murders to avoid the electric chair uh, if these confessions proved to be true, then he would be the worst killer in South Carolina's history. Uh, he admitted to the murder of an individual by the name of Peggy Cutino, but prosecutors had already charged and sentenced William Pierce to life in prison for that murder. So his confession was rejected. Now, over the last few months of his life, Gaskins, worked with author Wilton Earl tirelessly on his book, final truth. Now this book was published in 1993 and discussed the murders and the bothersome feelings that Gaskins felt throughout his life. On the day of his execution, he cut his wrists in an attempt, a final last ditch attempt to avoid the electric chair. This is a man who did everything possible to attempt to avoid just being brought to justice. Now on the day of his execution, uh, he attempts this and it fails. Gaskins is placed in the electric chair with stitched arms and pronounced dead by electrocution on September 6, 1991. Um so he he does in fact meet meet justice. Now, it's unknown specifically how many murders that Gaskins committed. Uh, since the information was never provided for all of the bodies, um, but we do know this: Gaskins was an incredible uh, psychopath uh, who had really little to no uh, regard for human life. Uh, he was in, he was in, he was one of the most prolific killers uh, in in American history. Now he was convicted for only nine murders uh but he was considered to be an active killer from the years 1953 to september 1982 now while he was only convicted for nine murders he himself personally laid claim to over a hundred victims who he claimed to have killed now he didn't turn over the the bodies of all 100 people but he did claim uh, 100 plus people i should say but he did claim these victims uh, and he frequented South Carolina, North Carolina, uh, and other parts of the South all the way uh, down into Florida. Um, but his M.O. for killing individuals, um, this this process of, of rape, torture, and then eventual uh, either drowning, strangulation, or cannibalization of these victims uh, – Lent a cruel lent a sense of cruelty to his crime that many people would associate with his later nicknames that he acquired. He he's been called by many things. I I remember at the beginning of the show I mentioned the fact that he was Pee Wee early in his early years, or earlier in his in his childhood, and a nickname that was very much a, a sort of bully imposed nickname on him. By this point, uh, he by the time he reaches his date with justice, uh, he's acquired quite a few new nicknames. Uh, among them is the meanest man in America. He's also referred to the redneck Charles man- as as the redneck Charles Manson. Um, but he he was an incredibly incredibly cruel. Um, Individual now, uh, I want to backtrack a little bit and talk a little bit about um, Gaskins' earlier years uh, before he really breaks off into this killing spree. Now we see uh, in his early years he has a incredibly poor relationship uh, in with with his family uh, to start with. Uh, his mother, Yulia uh is Considered to be incredibly promiscuous, he himself is the last in a string of illegitimate children. His early life is characterized by a great deal of ne- by a great deal of neglect. His mother provides absolutely no supervision in his formative years. Um, when he was only uh, only just a year old, he had drank a bottle of kerosene, which caused him to have convulsions until he was three. Uh, he also suffered from uh, is documented. He suffered from night terrors. And, of course, as I mentioned, uh, received regular beatings from his various stepfathers. Um, He was considered to be quite small for his age. And this is one of the reasons that he was so easily bullied in his youth, so little if any interest in him that the first time he learned his name, Donald, uh, was when it was read aloud at his first court appearance, something that I find hard to believe, but you know, nonetheless, we are talking about an individual who did drop out of school at the age of eleven. His mother spent so little time around him; she had very little uh, influence on his life. Now, this is a this is a young th- this is a man that, in his young formative years, receives little to no discipline aside from regular beatings he's getting from the various men his mother is hanging around with. Uh, a man who spends the majority of his young life getting into trouble because he's not being supervised, how little attention was paid to him in his youth, one might argue is what allowed him to become the monster that he becomes in his later years this is a This is a man who in his young by the age of thirteen is committing sexual crimes against other young, uh, he is then, he then steps towards, takes another step towards the abyss when he begins performing not only sexual crimes, but also assaulting people with weapons, such as uh, the young uh, woman who he got into an altercation with, with a hatchet. Um, now, of course, we mentioned the fact that in his young years, he is eventually arrested and identified along with his friends, placed in a reformatory where, again, he receives very little supervision, despite the fact that he's in this reformatory for committing uh, a particularly heinous crime. Uh, He receives very little supervision, and this allows him to be raped by his fellow inmates. Um, uh, And he also manages to escape. Uh, he's he's paid so little attention to that he's actually able to escape this reformatory uh, before voluntarily returning to complete his sentence and being released at the age of 18 in 1951. So uh, this is this is somebody who slips under the cracks for quite a while in this, even in the system he slips in the under the cracks uh, and the result is catastrophic. Is the, the results of this man slipping, under the, slipping through the cracks, uh, so to speak, you know, falling under the radar early in his life despite the heinous acts that he committed in his youth, uh, he's, he sort of falls under the radar with the authorities, and the results are devastating. He, managed, he, he goes on a prolific killing spree that spans uh, nearly three decades. Uh, something that's you know unheard of now um, very one of the interesting things about mr gaskins uh specifically is the fact that his killing spree doesn't stop when he's imprisoned he he is still manages even though he's in jail, he manages to kill people uh I mentioned the fact that uh He's, he's imprisoned in 1953 and charged with attempted murder uh, after using a hammer to attack a teenage girl who who he had claimed had insulted him. Uh, now, this, this you would think, would have netted him quite a while in jail. He's sentenced to six years imprisonment at the Central Correction, Correctional Institute. But after... And after being, you know, assaulted, raped, owned in prison, uh, he, earns, he earns respect by killing the most feared man in the prison, Hazel Brazell. Uh As a result, he receives another three extra years in prison, but from that point on, uh, becomes an incredibly violent and aggressive individual. Uh, And he escapes from prison in 1955 by hiding in the back of a garbage truck and fleeing to Florida, where he takes employment with – and this is the point where he takes employment with a traveling caravan and is rearrested, remanded to custody and paroled again in August of 1961. So even when he is in jail, he still uh, is performing violent acts against people. He goes to jail. He's, he's being, you know, ideally he's under a little bit more supervision at this point and he kills the most feared man in the prison for which, by the way, he only receives three extra years in jail, which you would think you would receive a little bit more than three years for murdering a guy in jail. You're, I mean, you, you are in jail for attempted murder and then you full scale murder somebody. And you you only get, oh, that's only three years. So one, one of the themes we're seeing here uh, with Mr. Gaskins is the fact that uh, the justice system had some uh, real shortcomings uh, for much of his life, allowing him to sort of get out uh, again and again, despite the fact that he's a particularly violent criminal. It also shows that uh, this also shows something else that I think is particularly interesting uh, particularly interesting is how do we how do we identify these violent individuals how do we know what we have when we get these guys um how do we prevent this kind of thing from happening now clearly attempted murder of that young young lady uh, who had assaulted him and then the subsequent murder of uh of an inmate he probably should have not been able to get out of jail but nonetheless uh, because of the shortcomings of the system, he's able to do so. He's paroled uh, and immediately uh, reverts back to committing crimes, uh, starting with burglaries and selling stolen property, uh, and, and then eventually rape, uh, a, a crime that he became uh, very familiar with in his youth. He's rearrested in Georgia and sentenced to eight years of imprisonment, and paroled in November of 1968. Uh, upon his release, he moves to Sumter and begins working with Fort Roofing Company. His first non-prison-related murder victim was a hitchhiker whom he tortured and murdered in September of 1969. Uh, we mentioned this in his own memoirs. He is famously quoted as saying that all I could think. About is how I could do anything I wanted to her. Uh, this hitchhiker was to be the first of many he would pick up and kill while driving around the coastal highways of the American South. And he classified these victims as coastal kills, both people, uh, people both male and female, whom he killed purely for his pleasure. Uh, of course, I, I mentioned the fact that he killed individuals that he knew uh, and considered these to be serious murders. These are the people that. Uh, Were serious because he knew them Uh, On average Approximately once every Six weeks uh, and when he Went hunting to quell his feelings Of bothersomeness uh, He would often torture And mutilate his victims while Attempting to keep them alive for as long as possible Uh, He confessed To not only killing his victims using A variety of methods including stabbing Suffocation, mutilation uh, And of course as I mentioned before Uh, Cannibalization while they are Actually alive uh, Also force feeding individuals Parts of their bodies Uh, He confessed to Killing 80 to 90 Such victims although his claims uh, To have committed any coastal kills uh, Have never been fully Substantiated Uh, In the autobiography I mentioned Final truth uh, Gaskin's claims to have committed Coastal kills every six weeks Yet contradicts his claims later in the book by stating he felt the overpowering need to seek and commit uh, a a kill by the 10th date of each town of the month. I'm not really sure uh, what the significance of that would be, uh, but uh, apparently he was a madman with some methods to his madness. Uh, now, in 1970, November of 1970, Gaskins committed the first of his so-called serious murders which were murders of people he knew, and killed for personal reasons. And I mentioned he killed his own niece Janice Kirby, uh, who and her her friend Patricia and Alsbrook, both of whom were young teenagers at the time, both of whom he beats to death after attempting to assault them sexually in South Carolina. Other serious murder victims. Uh, Were killed for a variety of reasons because they had either mocked, attempted to blackmail him, owed him money, or because they had stolen from him, or just because Gaskins had been paid to kill them. Alternatively, because Gaskins felt like killing them. Unlike his coastal kills, Gaskins simply executed these victims, usually by shooting them before burying them along the coastal areas of South Carolina. In 1973, uh, he committed one of his most gruesome murders when he raped and murdered two of his neighbors, Doreen Dempsey, uh, who was, of course, as I mentioned before, pregnant, and her two-year-old daughter. Now, nobody suspected that Gaskins was was a sadistic serial killer, although how they didn't suspect that he was a sadistic serial killer is sort of confusing to me, since he had already been arrested and imprisoned and committed murders while in jail uh, this is one of those times where you have to say, really? Nobody thought this guy was crazy, that he might be a murderer? Um, wow. Okay. Uh, so in at this point, uh, there were some that knew uh, he was prepared to commit murder for a reasonable reward. But nobody suspected that Gaskins was a, was a sadistic serial killer who was just a really crazy bad guy. Uh, they just knew that if you if you paid the right amount of money, Gaskins might kill somebody for you. Now, in 1975, in February of 1975, again, we, we talked about Susan Kipper Owens hiring uh, Gaskins to kill her boyfriend. Um, but this led subsequently to four more people ended up getting murdered as a result of this. Uh, Kipper Owens herself gets murdered uh, As a consequence of this Uh, And everybody involved in this blackmailing uh, Everybody involved in the planning of this murder And the eventual attempts to blackmail Gaskins ends up getting killed um, As a consequence So Interestingly enough uh, We see also that One of Gaskins' Uh, sort of M.O.'s was to have another individual help him dispose of the body through means of intimidation or blackmail himself. Uh, Gaskins uh, can't really been, be written off as necessarily completely insane uh, because it's clear that he had the wherewithal to premeditate a lot of these crimes. He also had the wherewithal to blackmail individuals to get them to help him hide bodies. Uh, in the case of uh, Walter Neely, Uh, He even gets him to help him commit crime. Uh, Neely himself, during his confession, states to police that Gaskins had confided in him to having killed several people who had been listed as missing persons during the previous five years, and it indicated to him where they were buried. Uh, and Gaskins, of course, in, in December of 1975, would lead police to the land he owned in Prospect, where they discovered the bodies of eight of his victims. Uh, now, one one thing that is, again, I want to circle back to is important to remember is uh, this is a, a scenario in which, you know, authorities don't seem to know what to do with this guy. Uh, for much of his early life this is a guy who is performing violent acts early in his life violent acts against young people uh, and still uh, is given chance after chance to you know escape uh, escape justice on multiple occasions uh, now i don't know whether or not they were having issues during this time with you know the the prisons being full, but it seems to me that a guy like Gaskins shouldn't have been able to get out of jail so many times. Uh, probably after you kill another inmate, after you're in jail for attempted murder, you probably don't get out of jail. That's kind of like let's let's make sure that doesn't happen anymore, right? Uh, you probably don't need to get out of jail after that because you've already determined that you've. You've not only tried to kill somebody, but then you do kill somebody, so now that we know that you are going to murder people, probably shouldn't let you out of jail. But it seems that in this case, uh, the authorities don't seem to think it's important enough to pay attention to, and as a consequence, uh, a lot more people end up dead that probably didn't have to die uh, because Gaskins wouldn't have been able to murder them had he stayed in jail and never seen the light of day. Um now, interestingly enough, uh, one thing I did forget to mention is that uh, whilst in prison, uh, Gaskins, of course, uh, had was tried on eight charges of murder, again, on May 24th of 1976, and he is found guilty on May 28th and sentenced to death, which is later commuted to life in prison, um, whilst in jail again. On September 2nd of 1982, Gaskins actually committed another murder for which he earned the title the meanest man in America. Uh, Whilst incarcerated in the high security block at the South Carolina Correctional Institution, Gaskins killed a death row inmate named Rudolph Tyner who had received his sentence for killing an elderly couple named Bill and Myrtle Moon during a bungled armed robbery at the store they owned in Burgess. Uh, Gaskins was hired to commit this murder by Tony Simo, son of Myrtle Moon, whilst he was in jail. Gaskins initially made several unsuccessful attempts to kill Tyner by lacing his food and drink with poison before he opted to use explosives to kill him. Uh, To accomplish this, Gaskins rigged a device similar to a portable radio in his death row cell and told Tyner that this would allow them to communicate between cells. When Tyner followed Gaskins' instructions to hold a speaker laden with an explosive unbeknownst to him to an his ear to agreed time, Gaskins detonated the explosives from his cell and killed him. uh Gaskins later said that the last thing he and Tyner heard or the last thing that Tyner had heard was him laughing uh, and he was of course sentenced to death uh following this murder. This is the murder that sort of said where the where the authorities in and and the the criminal justice system basically said, Okay, uh that's that's enough of that. Uh we've you've you know, you've kinda killed a lot of people now. Uh and now you've again killed somebody whilst you're incarcerated on death row no no less. Uh so he subsequently robbed he, he essentially and ostensibly robbed the hangman of his prize at this time. Uh, so they've gotta replace it and they've got to replace it with him. Again, I mentioned the fact that Gaskins told his life story to a journalist named Wilton Earle. He claimed to have committed between 100 and 110 murders, including that of Margaret Craig Catino, although, again, um, who is the 13-year-old daughter of the South Carolina State Senator James Catino, Jr. Uh, Law enforcement sources, however, found his claims impossible to verify. He is, of course, executed on September 6, 1991 at 1 a.m. and is the Fourth person to die in the electric chair After the death penalty was reinstated In South Carolina in 1977 Uh, Hours before he is escorted to the electric chair Of course uh, He had attempted to kill himself By slicing his wrist with a razor blade With a razor blade he previously Had swallowed the previous week uh, And then coughed up Uh, And his last words uh, Were I'll let my lawyers talk for me I'm ready to go, uh, so a man uh, who really attempted to sort of elude justice, but at the same time throughout his life clumsily really did a terrible job of doing so. Uh, he didn't uh, he didn't do a particularly good job of staying out of the out of the criminal justice system, but does but does attempt to sort of escape uh justice once he's incarcerated. So this is Donald Henry Gaskin's real legacy. Uh, The real legacy of of Gaskin's is uh, the fear in which he inspired a generation, uh, an entire generation of people uh, who now had to become incredibly terrified by the prospect of travel, had to become incredibly terrified by the prospect of the whole idea of hitchhiking. Uh, Gaskin's was also for those of you who don't know, dubbed the Hitchhiker Killer. Famously the inspiration behind movies um behind several films. Uh he is famously uh, famously uh influenced quite a few movies. Uh first the Hitchhiker um uh, movie is sort of Uh, Somewhat influenced by him. Uh, A film noir from 1953. Uh, There's a remake of it uh, in 2007. Um, These are somewhat influenced by the fact uh, that Gaskins killed people while they were hitchhiking. Uh, But also uh, Gaskins has has any found uh, impact, one might say, on the criminal justice system. Uh, his actions whilst being imprisoned uh, demonstrated the ineffectual aspects of the criminal justice system, particularly in South Carolina, uh, which is, one, one might say, one of the reasons why you see uh, a repeal of the death sentence in In South Carolina, a reinstatement I should say of the death, death sentence in South Carolina, uh, because at that point in time, uh, Gaskins was an individual who they had no idea what to do with i mean they they, they tried isolation, and clearly that didn't work. Uh, they tried general po- you know imprisoning him with the general population, they tried uh, reform through through his prison sentences uh, they tried isolation. They tried every other means of attempting to sort of keep him contained and get him to reform in his later years, and yet none of that worked. Uh, he still was intent on killing people, even when he was in jail. Uh, particularly interesting thing about Gaskins is how incredibly vicious this man was. Uh, you think about some of the some of the more famous criminals. We think of individuals, uh, you know, when we think of serial killers and in, in history, we, we tend to lean towards guys like Dahmer or Gacy, uh, who are clearly not only just, uh, you know, at times cruel, but also very sick, uh, sick individuals who, you know, we, we see them as being, you know, more or less not only driven to murder people, but also really kind of off, right. Uh, mentally, we, we question their faculties, but in the case of, of Donald Henry Gaskin's it's hard for us to question his faculties uh because he's he's completely aware that he's committing these crimes he there's no you know there's no blackout claims none of that this is a man who re- essentially makes no defense for his actions uh he he basically kills people assault you know viciously assaults people and kills people and has no qualms about it uh you know what's truly terrifying about this guy is that Uh, Here is an individual who is incredibly violent, uh, is, you know, is brought up in in an environment of violence uh, and is has no problem killing somebody even over the slightest, slightest perception of a grudge. And yet he's able to slip through the cracks and and kill so many people because. Uh, you know people for some reason, just didn 't think that this guy in his earlier years was that you know oh yeah he 's just a, he 's a, he's a bad guy, but he 's not that bad right he 's not that terrible uh, wrong again, guys uh, this is a this is an example of a truly truly uh, cruel individual, uh, so the moniker of the meanest man in America truly fits uh Donald Henry Gaskins because he is uh, he was an incredibly cruel man um who had no no sense of of mercy or remorse for anything that he did he does not weep uh when when being brought to justice uh if anything even his attempt to kill himself one might even perceive that to be out of spite rather than uh rather than remorse uh, his his attempts to kill himself were simply so that he could avoid personally the discomfiture of having to sit in the electric chair, or having to uh, really be on display and, and quote unquote brought to justice. In his mind, uh, Gaskins didn't care about about this concept of justice. He didn't care about whether or not uh, what he did was wrong he did the things that he did and he didn't feel anything uh bad about it. He didn't have any qualms about doing what he did. He killed these individuals, he raped them, he tortured them, uh, and, and brutally, you know, and in often brutal fashion. And so his attempts to sort of uh cheat cheat the hangman, so to speak, by killing himself are more or less his own attempts to circumvent the justice system once again. Uh, His own attempt to to sort of escape justice. Like, oh, I don't want to, in his mind, he didn't want to have to face and and acknowledge, uh, you know, there was somebody that could tell him that what he did was wrong because he knew what he did was wrong. He just didn't care. Uh, So, uh, Gaskins again, you know, we have so many situations uh in his life where he is just unimaginably cruel. Uh we see the individ- we, we see for a key example we can point to is his murder of Tyner. Is Tiner a saint? Absolutely not. Rudolph Tyner was on death row. He had killed, you know, for for killing an elderly couple. So he's clearly a deplorable individual. And yet Gaskins recounts that that he was laughing when he knew he was going to kill Tyner, he was laughing about it. Uh, the last thing that Tyner heard was me laughing. Um, in the, in the words of Gaskins himself, uh, this the last thing he heard was me laughing. Um, you know, and and you see that this is a guy with such a with such a fragile ego. Talk about a guy who. Uh, has a fragile ego. This guy murdered somebody because he thought they insulted them, not because they did, because he thought they did. Uh, you know, this is uh it's kind of a problem, right? A, a guy who thinks he was insulted. So he kills people because he thinks he was insulted. Very confusing uh, situation there for me. Oh, I thought they insulted me. So I murdered them. Uh, you know, and to make matters uh, even more complex, uh, in the case of Donald Henry Gaskins, he's a very unique. He's very unique even as, as far as serial killers goes, because here you have a guy whose general MO is to sort of abscond, abscond with people uh, privately and murder them. You know, we think about when we think about serial killers, there's something very private about their methodology, right? Uh, you know, they don't necessarily kill people right there in the middle of the street where people can see it happen. Uh, You know, there's a sense of discretion. Uh, Gaskins is an individual where you kind of wonder, like, why didn't people put two and two together a lot sooner on this guy? Well, we realize one of the reasons why they didn't put two and two together much sooner on Donald Henry Gaskins is because people were hiring him for his services to murder people. Um, You know, we see even even in his biography and various accounts by people that know him, including uh, the man who, you know is responsible essentially for his, uh, for his arrest, Walter Neely, his criminal associate, uh, that people knew Gaskins as somebody you didn't cross and somebody you could come to to have somebody murdered, uh, which is the exact reason why uh, Susan Kipper Owens, of course, Approaches him in the first place because she had heard that he would kill people for money. Uh, Who she heard this from, we don't know. But we do know that Gaskins had uh, a reputation as being a man who was prepared to commit murder for a reasonable reward. Uh, Not, you know, and again, from Gaskins himself, we get this. We get this. We get the sense that, uh, you know, he's already being rewarded for killing people. He's gratifying his own desire uh, to kill when he kills these individuals. And yet, here's a guy who's also a hired who will not only kill people for money, but he'll kill them because he feels like killing them. Uh, you know, which to me uh, makes him all the more terrifying uh, because, you know, <laughs> it, I mean, what do you even do with a guy who is so cold, so calculating, uh, that he, he doesn't, he's able to, uh, sort of just put aside all sense of, you know, morality, all sense of accountability and just say, hey eh, today, I'm gonna kill somebody, no big deal, um, you know, Gaskins himself, uh, by author Wilton Earle, the man who did his, his biography, uh, and what a biography that must have uh, that, that that is. Um, but it must have been truly chilling to interview this individual. But Gaskins himself said, I have walked the same path as God. By taking lives and making others afraid, I became God's equal. Through killing others, I became my own master, and through my own power, I come to my own redemption. So there's a little bit extra to go with Gaskins' you know twisted variety of murders. Um, in that, here's a guy who who killed, who killed people. Uh, because he felt like it and then believed that this made him a god, uh, you know, this that this was his own path towards redemption and reclaiming his own sense of identity and power. Uh, when you have an individual who defines themselves by what they do to other people, uh, we have a recipe for uh, for some really terrible things to happen. Uh, as we see in the case of Donald Gaskins, um, this doesn't end well, uh, and it doesn't end well at all. Um, we look at his early life again: somebody who started out mm-hmm. getting into mischief, burning down barns, and you know stealing. Gradually move towards crimes involving sexual assaults uh, and beatings uh, and essentially graduating to torture and murder. Um, So truly a chilling individual. And again, guys, uh, you know, I do apologize for, for the technical issues I had today. I'm not really sure what it was that was causing so many problems for me. Um, I'll make it. I'll be for those of you who follow me on Facebook. I will be making a an announcement and and recap there. Of course, tell you guys what's going on with that. Uh, We had some little issues today uh, that caused me to start a little bit late, so I do apologize to those of you who uh, expected the show to be on at five again. uh, Glad this it is. It is one one benefit here is that I do have this three hour time slot, so it is quite helpful. Um, when I do have these technical issues, to know that I'm still going to be able to give you guys a decent quality show. So hopefully next week we won't have so many problems. Um, not really sure what's going on with that. Um, but in in summation, uh, this has been uh, this has been uh, coverage of uh, Donald Gaskins. Now. Um, we don't know for sure uh, if everything that Gaskins confessed to in his uh, confessional with uh, Wilton Earle was true. Uh, the final truth, we don't—we're not entirely sure if everything he confessed to was true, or if it was just his desire to become known as one of the most prolific serial killers in U.S. history. Uh, again, he claimed to have killed—claimed to have killed uh, over a hundred people. But he never showed authorities where all the bodies were located. Uh, so some there there are many who who have their doubts about Gaskins. There are many who say that he was never beaten as a child but was given tremendous love and attention. Others who say he was actually responsible for uh, for killing is also an area of debate since proof of several of his confessed murders was never found. Uh, one fact, however, cannot be disputed, and that is the fact that Gaskins is a psychopath. Uh, from a very early age uh, and he had no regard for any human life, but his own, Uh, he demonstrates that he has no regard for anybody's feelings, anybody's safety, but his own Uh, in his early years, uh, you know, he had, he had burgled uh, mainly for the thrill. uh, But when he, when he turns to violent crime in his teenage years, uh, it's clear from then on that Gaskins has no, regard for human life in any any sort of shape form or context he has no interest uh, in preserving it in any way at all so for those of you interested in finding out a little bit more on don Henry gaskins truly twisted individual i would recommend taking a look at the uh autobiography done by wilton earl uh the final truth Uh, the Autobiography of a Mass Murderer. You might also look at Donald Gaskins' True Crime by Evil Killers, um, and then of course uh, Donald Donald Gaskins' The Meanest Man in America uh, by Jack Rosewood, uh, Historical Serial Killers and Murders. Um, so that's a that's a great. Start for those of you interested in looking into this uh, tremendously twisted uh, individual. Uh, definitely a guy who earned his nickname as the most the meanest man in America, and and prou- perhaps one of the coolest men to ever live. So thanks for joining me today, guys. Thanks for bearing with me with the technical difficulties. Um, next week we will be talking about Elizabeth Bathory. And, of course, on Sunday, you can catch Street Football Talk here at Totally Driven Entertainment, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, It'll be Teddy the Bear Tate and me, Dallas Big D Duclo, hosting the show. Thanks for tuning in today, guys. And, again, as always, I thank you for your patience and your time. And I'll catch you guys very soon.